are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hey folks, Steve Angel here, and this week's episode is sponsored by both Bond and Nick's good friends, David and Tracy Belowski at St. Joe River Bows. Now, if you're thinking about a custom longbow or recurve, you owe it to yourself to check out St. Joe River Bows. David and Tracy have been making bows at St. Joe since 2009, where they started out making the St. Joe River Bows Classic model in both longbows and recurves. And then in 2010, they premiered their Torrent Recurve model. Now, often copied but never duplicated, this sweet little bow is offered in a 54 and 56 inch versions, and its smooth draw and snappy performance make it the perfect bow for hunting from a tree stand or a ground blind. And if you're more of a longbow shooter like I am, well, they also make a torrent version in a longbow, which just so happens to be the bow my wife shoots today. Now, myself, I prefer the classic longbow, but all of their bows are amazing shooters, and all are available in numerous grip sizes and types to fit every shooter. If you're not sure exactly what you want, Tracy is more than happy to work with you to figure out which style fits you best. And don't forget about their kid and youth models that come with St. Joe's amazing trade-up program so that as your child grows, they can trade in their current bow towards a newer bow that better fits their needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy will still throw in a free St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchase. So when you call them up, be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the Traditional Outdoors podcast. Now let's get on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. How are you, Nick? I'm good, Steve. Happy New Year. Or it will be when this drops. It will be when this drops. So, Happy New Year to everyone listening. And thank Um, God. That's all I got to say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't see major improvements in in the weaker two weeks before this actually drops, but we'll go with it and hope, hope for the best. It's a state of mind, Steve. That, that's what this <laughs> is. We're, we're going to have a lot of hope like we do every year for New Year's, <laughs> and we're going to go from there. <laughs> but how you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, by the time, by the time this drops, um, deer seasons will be rapidly coming to a close um, for both of us. I, I, I probably still have a week or so left, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. My thoughts are really, uh, and this first, the first one won't surprise you a bit because I've actually already started it, but my thoughts have already turned to, to scouting. I've, I've kind of made a, I don't do new year's resolutions, but I've, I've made a promise to myself that I'm, I'm getting back into my old ways of, of scouting, uh, during the off season. And I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I got a, a young kid we've talked about here in the neighborhood that, that wants to get out and, and, and spend some time, which will make me focus even more trying to, trying to educate somebody and not overlooking the little things. So I'm really getting excited about that. I'm really getting excited about wetting some fly line. Oh, I am too. I am too, man. Like the, uh, I'm going, that's my biggest thing is I'm going to, every time I went out this year, I had a blast fish and I'm going to fish as much as possible next year. And, uh, like you, I also, I mean, there's just too many hunters around here. This year was really, really bad on public land and all the places I've hunted. And I've got to get either deeper or find new digs or, or, you know, try to get into some, try to get into some private land with some people or, or something, because it's just, honestly, it was pretty miserable. Um, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to game planning for that too, but the fishing, 
the fishing's going to happen, and the fish is going to happen a lot. I can tell you that right now because I'm missing the water a lot, and I'll have a new, a brand new uh, fly rod from Scott Spray to try out this year too. A nice, a nice caramel glass rod. Congrats so I'm on that. To that! Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I've had, and I've been working on this for for months now. Um, my my string business. I've I've, I've been setting aside a little money from uh, from strings for a while now to to replace some some really aging fly gear. My my waders I've I've patched to the point where there's just no saving them. But you know it's a set of Orvis Pro guides that I've had for. Uh, in excess of 15 years now, um, but they're gone. I mean, they're, they're, at this point, they're they're um, they're a filter. They're not waders. <laughs> so, I, I actually caught a set of uh, wading boots, felt bottom wading boots, on sale a couple of weeks ago, and dipped into the to the wader fund out of the string the strings, and and I ordered a set of boots and. Uh, I'm hoping I'll I'm hoping I'll be able to order the waiters, you know, sometimes after the holidays. Might get a little might get a little Christmas cash from somebody or something and top off my my waiter fund, but I'm pretty close. So, you know, I'm thinking by the by the first to the middle of January I'm gonna be able to I'm gonna be able to get out and hit some hit some trout water and not freeze to death. Now, uh, didn't you tell me that uh, you were telling me this, the, the Chattahoochee, the bottom there, is super, super slick? How does felt do on that? Is felt better on that? Uh, yeah, you can't do you can't do rubber soles. It's impossible. Um, but you, the thing that that I think works the best, that's worked best for me, is felt bottoms with studs. Um, now, the the oh. wading shoes that I got did not come with studs, but my my buddies over at Mad River are hooking me up with studs, so they're gonna they've got my number they're gonna call me when they get them in so i'll be honest i bought the i bought the waiting the waiting boots from those guys i bought some you know fly tying supplies which i think we talked about on here i know you and i've talked about it uh just great guys i'm telling everybody if you you know i understand people support their local shops and i'm the same way but you know if you need something and you you can't find it local or you just don't want to go out and you want to order it online I got to give a shout out to Brian and and all the guys, and I'm sure there's some gals there too. But the folks at at Mad River Outfitters, great great people. I spent I don't even remember the gentleman's name. I wish I wrote it down, but I spent probably 40 minutes of his time a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, which wading shoes to go with and and which which waders you know they recommended and so forth. And anyway, I know I don't think you've bought anything from him yet, but uh, no, I'm actually glad you folks. brought that up because I. I, I had a card all queued up so I could tie some buggers because I don't have any I don't have any uh, I need long shank hooks and streamer stuff and and I have some things cone heads and all that I had it all carded up and forgot about it <laughs> so I got to go back and do that but I'd like to get into tying here pretty quick because it's real cold and and it's it's something I'd like to do at night with a cup of coffee when I get home so yeah and I still have a vice yeah. to send you so I've got I need to get oh, that yeah I forgot about up. that too. Yeah, I'm sending you my old Dan vice so you can quit using that POS that you're trying to tie on. Because I still, and the only reason I can say that is because I still got a POS vice just like yours sitting in a box. Yeah, I'll try to get that in the mail. That'll be a belated Christmas gift to you. I'll mail it for you now, but yeah, uh, it won't it won't get there until a month after Christmas. The way all the <laughs> the way the mail's been running. Yeah. 
but uh, oh yeah, I hear you. I mean, hell, if you if you melted mine down and tried to make sinkers out of it, it wouldn't even be good to weight my fly line down. That's how bad mine is. So <laughs> it'd be nice well, to get a new one here pretty soon, but I can make it work. I bet I have been tying a, a good bit of flies. In fact, I think you know the the time that obviously you know the the time that I'll have off around holidays. I'm I'm spending with the family as much as I can, but mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I've been tying a bunch of woolly buggers. So there's <laughs> some, there's some like 50 woolly buggers by the time you're done. Well, there's uh, I, I can say this because he'll get them before, before this goes live, but I'm, I'm making a, I'm making a bunch for Mr. Bramlett, Mr. Gene. I'm going to, I'm going to carry him some. And I went fishing with him once and I don't know if it's because I caught more fish than he did or what, but he hadn't invited me go with him again so i think maybe if i give him a few woolly buggers for christmas i, I can coax him into going trout fishing with me again we'll see <laughs> make sure you <laughs> make sure you put a nice little note in there that says maybe your luck will change this time <laughs> that, that'll help maybe. Him out maybe but, maybe yeah, I, in yeah. fact i gotta i gotta spend some time with gene here in the next few days we got a the the ngt the the property that you hunted up there with me up in gainesville where we have our archery shoots we've got a bunch of trees down so It'll be up to to Gene and I to to clear everything out with chainsaws here in a in a few days because our first shoot will be I think it's the second or third second the second of January. So again, by the t- this actually may go live right before our first our first traditional archery shoot of the year. So man, that, that just blows my mind, and I, I don't know what state we'll be in this year for shoots. Um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I know the expo was already canceled just because the expo yeah, center just... won't allow more than a certain amount of people. And that really bums me out. Um, but well, so real quick, know, and I want, us, I want us to get to our topic, but are, you know, is, is MLA still planning on keeping the banquet? We are actually opening up ticket sales, um, January 4th or 5th, I think. Um, okay. usually you order those the first week of December. Um, but we wanted to give it a little bit more time and just see what happens. Cause the last thing I, you know, we want to do is have to refund a bunch of people. And right, uh, I right. mean, it might have to happen anyway, but since I'm the guy refunding, I really don't want to do it <laughs> being the webmaster. Uh, but yeah, we're, we'll, you know, we are all holding hope that we can do it. Um, I, it's possible we might have to find another venue, um, just because of the restrictions placed on them. Um, I, I'm not really sure where we are with that right now. I know the council just met with it, uh, but MLA members bear with them. You know, they're, they're, they're thinking about you, you know, they, in the org and they want to get everybody together. Uh, we, we just got to make sure that we got all of our, you know, everything figured out so that we're not inconveniencing all of you either. So they'll, uh, we'll we'll let you know keep keep your eyes on stick talk and and on our facebook page and our website and uh michiganlongbow.org you know we'll uh we'll keep you updated on it i hope it happens though because i miss everybody it's just it's it's a big gaping hole you know this year not seeing everybody and i know a big part of these organizations is the gathering i mean anybody can shoot but the gathering is the big part and and we really we really we sure miss it well sorry to Sorry to put you on the spot there. I guess I should have mentioned that before we pressed record. But when you oh. brought up, uh, you brought up the uh, the expo, and and this was the year I was actually planning to attend the banquet instead of the expo. But um, I'd just be honest with the mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. With the situation Lori's in, I can't I can't take the the risk of COVID between trying to fly or drive up, and it just it's oh, not totally. gonna work either way. And but I know, was curious. It, it is what it is, and you know you got to we got to deal with it. And and I will say this, ladies and gentlemen, and all of, all of our listeners out there, now is the time where you support your organizations more than ever. It's it's easy to support an organization when you can reap the benefits of it, and you're there, and you're an experience in it. And this is unprecedented. This is since 1983, Michigan Longbow Association has been has been running and gathering multiple times a year. The MLA contingent has shot all over Michigan, people coming from all over the country to come to it. And, you know, now now that we're not seeing the now that we're not seeing the benefit, we're not getting together. And it's it's easy to forget that you belong to the organization. And there's people that, you know, have forgotten to renew because a lot of them renew at events like the expo. And if this might be you, please contact our MLA council. Go to the website, michiganlongbow.org, renew, or uh, contact Nicole Sayer, our membership person, and reach out on our Facebook page or messenger and, and, and find out if, uh, if you are expired because, you know, there's, it's really important to support organizations like the MLA in this time. And, uh, and, you know, we'll bounce back from this. We'll bounce back better than ever. And, uh, just uh, just keep it on keep it on your mind. That's all. So we don't we definitely don't want to lose you. That's I'll just say that as an ex president and as a life member and as a invested member in the organization. And I'm not just talking about the MLA. I'm talking about every organization you belong to. Keep them in your mind because there's a council there of dedicated people that are trying to keep it afloat. And that's all I'll say about that. So. Well, all right. I really pulled your chain, didn't? I? Well, you know. <laughs> You got the opportunity. <laughs> I hear you. Well, let's 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 uh, let's jump into our our topic tonight. It's uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to. We've gotten feedback from listeners that a lot of people really enjoy when you and I just kind of get in here and 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 chew the fat about a topic. So we're gonna start doing a little bit more of that. We'll still have guests um, randomly scattered throughout, but uh, we kind of started talking about a few topics, and we've got a few already lined up, but. This one was kind of this one was kind of your idea or your baby, so I'm gonna let you kick it off, man. Yeah, this one this one I'm kind of calling because it's still flipping works, and the reason why I'm saying that is be, it was kind of brought on by one of our listeners on Instagram. I was I was scanning and, <laughs> and I know who posted. it is. The reason I'm laughing, I won't, I won't say his name. <laughs> you'll, <but laughs> you'll probably laugh too, and he probably wishes I would say his name, but he posted probably. a really cool a really cool old uh, I can't remember if it was an ad or it was a book cover and it had the old bdu bow hunter you know with the bdu camouflage on and the old laminate you know bow martin bow or whatever it is laminate compound and i made a remark on that a comment on that post that and just said man i saw a guy like that a couple years ago that looked just like he stepped out of that ad and was still in the woods (laughs) and uh i think he responded back well if it ain't broke don't fix it and that kind of got me thinking you know yeah, that that could be a good topic. I mean, I think we've all, for one reason or another, have held on to something that has worked over the years, whether it's a maybe it's your favorite fly or your favorite your favorite gun or your favorite bow or a broadhead or or maybe it's something maybe it's a tactic. Maybe it's just something you do because you've always done it and you've done it done well every season. And I thought Maybe we could talk a little bit, Steve, about what those things are and maybe and maybe 
you know, it'd be a good conversation. What do you think? I think it will absolutely be a good conversation. I'll, I'll be honest. I've been, we, we, we talked about this, I don't know, I guess about a week ago now that, you know, we were going to sit down and just not really make some notes, but put some thought into it. And I'll be honest, there were, there were several paths that this could go down that made me cringe a little bit because I know my, my biases will come out and I'll probably offend some people, but I would just say, you know, as you're listening through this, if somebody, if either Nick or I won say something that, you know, just doesn't mesh with what you do, or maybe you've got your own strong opinion, just remember, that's all it is. Most of the time, it's just opinions. There's no reason to get upset about it. And I'll be honest, Nick, I don't know where you want to start this thing. I kind of got a good idea because several times when we brought it up, or we started talking about this, there's been a certain point that you brought up. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there as a place to kind of kick the tires and get this thing started. And that's broad hits. Uh, so uh, <laughs> go ahead. That's a good I'll let you, I'll let you start. Just wait to offend. Here we go. Yeah. So one, one of the things that, that kind of has always brought, has always kind of make me chuckle a little bit um, in the traditional community is that there are people out there that, that swear by broadheads like Bear Greenies. They are all about. I knew them. you were going to go down that oh, path. Oh, oh, well, and you know what? It ain't even that. It's 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 the Pearson Deadheads. It's the old like people are just clamoring for old broadheads, and it's like, well, you know, people do make broadheads now, and they're probably better in a lot of ways with the manufacturing and stuff like that. And some of them are just like at the peak of manufacturing. I don't know how you can make a broadhead better. Um, for a two blade forged head, I mean, you know, or, a, you know, so casted head or whatever it is. So I always wondered like, like, what is it that draws people to that? Is it the nostalgia or is it because maybe their grandfather used it and, and, or their mentor used it and swore by it? Or, or maybe it's, you know, that was their first pack of heads they found in a pawn shop or, or wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute, are you had trying to? Are you trying to insinuate that people in the traditional community might do something out of nostalgia? <laughs> what, I mean, what's I wrong with you, man? <laughs> I mean, I think I think we're all. I, I I don't know if this is a this isn't necessarily a nostalgia versus performance thing or anything like that. But I mean, you, you see. I, I think you, it's it shows the most as broadheads, and I'll give you a good example. Like I I've been using since you introduced me to the Magnus Classics, the one sixties. Part of me I still use them. Part of it's because I haven't shot enough stuff where I'm out of them yet, and I'm cheap. But two, <laughs> I mean they work. I I've shot a few deer with them, and they I love them. And I don't know if at this point it's a uh, I love them more because they're not being made anymore. And I'm talking about the Magnus Classics, the the wide one sixty. The good Magnus. The, yeah, the good Magnuses. Like I'm not talking <laughs> about your. You know, I'm not even going to bring it up because I'm just going to get people <laughs> flipping out. Uh, you know, I knew it. I had to say it. Yeah, uh, you know, it rhymes with us cut. <laughs> <laughs> so but, you know, I, go I, ahead, Steve. I, I, I definitely get what I definitely get what you're saying. I mean, the Magnus Classics are still a favorite of mine. Um, I still hunt with them every year and I love those heads for multiple reasons. One, because they're at the, you know, they're a wide head. I I like a wide head. Mm -hmm. I have never claimed to be the best shot in the world. So, you know, if I'm off a little bit, I like having that 
even if it's just a mental a mental comfort level of having that little bit of additional cutting surface and i'm not gonna lie that's the reason i kind of slipped back and started shooting the the simmons tree sharks again as long as i've got a an arrow that's heavy enough and i can tune the arrow and stabilize that big wide head you know in case people didn't know an arrow kills by hemorrhaging and the more i can cut the more the happier i am so you know but i i I still shoot the magnus the wide magnus heads i i've always liked them i still like them i've still got a bunch that i'll never let go but back to the way this started um, there are a lot of the older heads out there that can't just leave me scratching my head. And it's not just the, the, um, and before we go any further, look, I know there's been a ton of deers, kill, whitetails killed by a, a, a bear greenie. I'm not saying they're not effective for me. The biggest challenge I have with them is they're 125 grains and I can't, I haven't shot a 125 grain broadhead and a long time. I can't Same. remember. I mean, I, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest reason I don't shoot them. I've got a, a, a old quiver with a, a Michigan bear tag, a Michigan deer hunter tag on it from 1967 hanging on my wall with, I don't know, five, five wooden arrows in it that has bear greenies attached to it. I, I got nothing against them. It's just, they're, it's not a head for me. Um, the old Howard Hill heads, in my opinion, are horrible. People still like to shoot them, more so from the nostalgia than anything else, I think. But I've never seen anybody that was able to get those things sharp to my standard of sharpness. And this isn't limited to, this is, in my opinion, this is not limited to, you know, bare greenies that were made in, you know, the 19s. I don't even know when the things were made. Um, when I first started bow hunting in 85, 86, there were some horrible, horrible heads on the market, but they killed, they killed deer. Um, Riptex. Razorback. Actually, (laughs) Riptex, I think, or, well. Actually, they're not bad. There are things about Riptex I like, and there are things about Riptex I hate. I hate the drag that's created by the I don't like, and that's the only reason why I don't like them. It's that drag. But there are people who will pay top dollar for those things. And and I'm not talking about collectum. You've never seen a Razorback 5, have you? No, I have not. Oh, my God. You talk about a horrible broadhead design. But they killed, they they killed, the first whitetail I ever took with a bow was killed with a Razorback 5. Um and I can just paint a picture of it for you, and you'll you remember the old Thunderheads? I do remember those. So yep. a Razorback or Five was was made by Nap Archery, just like a Thunder a Thunderhead. It was the same basic principle as far as the the point. It had that that chisel. It wasn't even a chisel point. I guess it was a chisel point. But the chisel point screwed off, and you I think it's anyway. The, the blades themselves was a cartridge where razor blades were attached to plastic that slid down over the shank of this broadhead and would actually turn on. The, it was just, it was horrible. But they killed deer with them. So, you know, and there's still broadheads that come out today that in my humble opinion are, are garbage. Um, so this isn't, uh, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is things can always be better, but they can <laughs> always be worse <laughs> <laughs> well i mean my i mean my my old na- my old neighbor holly's been doing this for for 
decades now. And I mean, he got the Michigan black bear record with a wasp broadhead with actual razor blades. JB welded to him. I mean, people have killed deer with, and bears and all kinds of stuff with some crazy things. I mean, that's not like it's not going to do the job. And, and, you know, maybe it's, maybe I know we're on the tangent of broadheads here and maybe it's a different topic to say, you know, nostalgia versus how does it work? But I mean, there are, there are people out there who, I mean, there are greenies that are, you can just tell have been through an animal or two. They've been sharpened down. If they were 125 grains, they're about 65 now, just all kinds of stuff. And people just seem to clamor over it. And I'm like, that's great. I got a Howard Hill head I'm looking at right here. Somebody gave me it's up on my shelf. I like to look at it. Never would have put, I'm not going to put it on my, on one of my arrows. It'll work. But I mean, that's just, I don't know. I guess I want something a little more than work. <laughs> well, and that that's, and, and to me, when it comes to broadheads, I guess for me, again, without, we're not going to go down this, this whole yeah, effective versus for me, it's, when I look at a broadhead and I think about a broadhead, I want to shoot a broadhead that I think is going to give me the highest margin of success of anything that I can put on the end of my arrow because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much you spend on bows. It doesn't matter how much you spend on the arrows. It doesn't how much you spend on your carbon activated scent lock ozone field. So it, none of that matters if that broadhead doesn't do its job because the broadhead is what kills the animal. So, mm-hmm. I don't care how you want to argue that. That is, that's just fact. Nobody's, uh, well, I'm, I saw the guy chase down the pheasant with a, with his bow one time, beating it to death, but the bow isn't what kills the animal. It's, it's, it's the broadhead. And you so know, anyway, this con- that's just, this, right. this com- and I don't want to limit this conversation to broadheads. That's just the easiest. This is, that's the, what kind of spurred it there. There are other things too. I mean, look at, you know, Mr. Lucky, Jim, Mike he hunts with, he hunts with bear takedowns. That's his thing. He hunts with bear takedowns and still gets the boxes of bear arrows that, that, you know, Joe Callahan makes now for bear. That's his thing. He's always done it. That's what he likes to do. And there's a lot more examples. I mean, it it, it comes down to. And he's about killed more deer than CWD. So you can't say it's not. (laughs) No, and not just, and not just deer. I mean, he's Mr. Lucky for a reason. And it ain't all all luck. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, we, and it's, there's some other things too, like Steve. You you like to use uh, your lock-on stands. You, you got better stands. I love my lock-on stands. You love your lock-on stands. I do. Work. I've got a i've i've got a i've got a Millennium uh, M7 Micro Light that I absolutely love. But I will tell you this: unless it is a situation, and for anyone that doesn't know what a, a M7 Millennium is, it's a it's a very small, very light platform. It uses a receiver system, so I can actually go out and put multiple receivers out in the woods. And when I go to hunt, all I have to do is climb the tree with a stand on my back and drop it into a receiver. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, that's the primary reason I like that stand and use it. If it's a if it's a grab a stand and go hunt, I'm going to grab one of my lock-ons. And they're lighter. I, in my opinion, they're quicker to, especially the, the way I the way I hunt them, I use the, um, I make my own, what they used to call the speed hitch ropes, but it's just a, it's basically a whoopee sling on a, that you, one end's attached to the stand and the, the rope will slide inside itself to adjust the length and you hang it on the tree. 
The only drawback to them, though, were some of these newer stands, and the Millennium doesn't have it either, but like uh, Lone Wolf stands have the back wing where you can adjust them so you can be level even on a tree that's that's leaning or crooked. And, you know, I'm a man. I don't have a problem standing in a tree if I'm leaning and a bit uncomfortable. So <laughs> that was a really bad well, joke. Well, I'm, I'm a 284-pound uh, <laughs> man, and I, and I can tell you right now in a windstorm that that, uh, that little lock-on you had me on that one day, I, I like to feel my legs when I stand up. And uh, that, <laughs> that didn't, I couldn't, yeah, I the couldn't seats, feel them. Yeah, the seats are not the great. The seats are not good. They will... That, but I will be honest. Most of the time, I'm I stand most of the time anyway. I don't I don't sit in a stand a lot. So you know, again, there are there are some really good stands made now. There are some really crappy stands made right now. But those those old lock ons, I mean, and I've got I've got I've actually got four right now. But I've got two that I I'll carry and put up in a place where I hunt them the whole season. I don't even move them. I'll just go back and hunt them every, you know, three to four weeks. And then I've got two of the lock-on, I think they're called, it's either Limit or Spirit. I can't remember exactly which one, but it's the it's the really light, all aluminum, expanded metal platform. And yeah, the seats on those things are absolutely horrible. And I have actually racked my brain trying to figure out a way to make a more comfortable seat without destroying the, you know, the way the stand works. And I just don't think it's possible. You know what, though? It's a good little stand for what it does. I didn't have any problem hunting out of it. I could see why you liked it. I liked the platform. It was a very sturdy stand. And even in that high winds, I didn't really care. And I don't hunt out of a stand all the time. So, you know, that's just one of those things. And, and you know, this can this transcends, you know, this conversation. Now, there, now there's some things that, for example, I've hunted, I've shot aluminum arrows for a long time. Um, I've gone back and forth. I've hunted everything. I've hunted wood, I've hunted carbon, I've hunted aluminum arrows. I still hunt with all three of those things. Um, I started on a 2216, and I'm back to a 2216. My St. Joe loves a 2216. I don't know what it is. Um, I really, really like it. Um, taking a couple deer with them, and actually a few deer with them, and, and they they work great for me. They're easy to maintain, and, and now I, I don't know... I don't know if that's something I went to because I've always done it, but it's something I understand and I'm comfortable with. And I know how they fly. I know how they tune. And I'm more comfortable with that than a carbon and with a wood arrow. I just have more experience with it. And I don't know, like my first deer was with a 2216 aluminum. And I, and for some reason I just like, that's the shaft I know. And, and if they ever quit making them, I'm probably going to be one of those guys that buys, dozens when i see them on ebay and i I know there's people who clamor for those autumn orange aluminums you know just can't get enough of them they buy them up and you can go to a show and somebody will have these old arrows up there for the same price you could buy a brand new set of you know dozen carbons and uh you know you could say that about other things too i mean what other things can you think of steve well you know i'll touch on the arrows just a little bit I'm going to be perfectly honest. That's one, that's, that's just one topic that I'll be honest. I've just never had a dog in the fight because I have hunted with, and I've taken animals with wood. I've hunted with and taken animals with aluminum. I've hunted with and taken animals with fiberglass and I've hunted and taken animals with carbon. They all will work. If they're tuned, they all will fly. Well, here's, Here's the only two argument. I'll make three. 
here's the only three arguments that I will ever throw out that I will say are valid when it comes to eras. Wood are always going to be, from a nostalgic point of view, the most popular material when it comes to traditional archery. Period, bar none, doesn't matter. And that's everything from cedar to, to ash. You really can't find a reason not to shoot wood arrows if you want to shoot wood. The straightest arrow you're ever going to shoot will be aluminum. It's just a fact. And, you know, when it comes to aluminum, they're either straight or they're, they're mm-hmm. bent. I mean, it, it, there's, there's no middle ground. And in my personal opinion, and this is probably the one that's the most arguable, you will never find a, a tougher arrow than a carbon. And that's where everybody's going, or not everybody. There'll be a bunch of people who heard that just threw up their hands and said Steve's lost his mind. Built the way I built my carbon arrows, you will never find a tougher arrow, period. I don't care what you're shooting. Unless you have a foot of carbon. Um, Well, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way I build my, the way I build my arrows. But I will say this, I've hunted, and I haven't been out much this year, but just in the few times I've been out this year, I've carried a longbow. I've carried a recurve, I've carried carbon, and I've carried aluminum. Um, I haven't carried any wood arrows out this year because I'll be perfectly honest, my wood arrow days going forward are probably going to be reserved for hunting with self-bows. And I just, I haven't made it out with a self-bow this year. But uh, anyway, didn't want to disrupt you there, but I did want to get in a few thoughts on the on the whole No, I'm glad uh, you did. Arrow, I, arrow discussion, but... It's kind of the point of these whole things is, you know, you don't know where we're going to go with it. I, I totally agree with you. Um, wood to me, and I, I think that's almost not a caveat to this conversation, because I don't think that anybody's going to argue that wood is a superior shaft or anything scientifically or anything like that. There are advantages to shooting wood. It's very quiet. It's not hollow. You know, you get a lot of natural weight there. Um, but most of the time it's people depend, people depend, wanna... depend, depending, depending on the type. Oh, totally. Portal I totally agree cedar doesn't weigh anything. <laughs> no, it don't. And I have some that are so, super, super thin that I cannot shoot cause they go all over the place and they're just, they just like feathers. But right. you know, most of the time it's just because, Hey, you can customize them. You can make them your own and, and wood, wood arrows are artistic and beautiful and very nostalgic. You can't, you can't argue the fact that they are the most beautiful arrows there are. You got a quiver of wood arrows in your back and it just, it just feels right. You know, and I think that, I mean, there's all kinds of places we could go with this. You could talk about what we wear, you know, we got with the camo or the, you know, some people still hunt. Like I said, that I, I saw a guy who looked just like one of those ads who was still wearing the cloth BDU camos. In fact, one of the first things I did when I got into hunting, not knowing any better, I went out and bought some, I went out and dug my old BDUs out. I mean, I I didn't know any better. That's that's I thought, well, well, it's camouflage. I see people wear this kind of camouflage or you know, up to boonie hats or whatever. You know, people wear wood today. A lot of people wear flannel shirts. Some people hunt in jeans and flannel shirts cuz that's the way their dad did it and that's that's Jason Sam Kobiak. Jason wear what <laughs> <laughs> I think Jason's sponsored by Walmart. I, I'm, I'm expect I'm ex, I'm expecting at some point for Jason to do a video where he's where he's hunting in a tree and in, in uh, Crocs shorts and and some kind of I don't know. Knowing Jason, it would probably be some kind of fishnet stocking shirt just to piss people <laughs> off 
And, and <laughs> I really don't want to. See, I really don't want to see that. <laughs> but but you know, J- Jason Jason gets it done. I you know it's um I have some preferences when it comes to clothing, but I here's what I'll tell you: I never let it limit me as far as I won't. I'm not gonna. If my if my camouflage isn't clean, I'm not going to stay home. But I will say this: I do think, especially for someone that hunts from a tree stand a lot, an open pattern like the you know the tried and true ASAT camo is just it's just hard to beat. That said, you can't get up there and act like a damn fool and dance and wave your arms and carry <laughs> on. They're going to see you. I mean, you still have to be still. And the truth of the matter is the average hunter just, they can't sit in a stand for three or four hours and, and stay still all the time. And I will say if I'm buying wool, I look for wool in patterns that will break up my outline. Large checkered patterns I really don't like solid colors and I don't like really small patterns in camo. I like to have that breakup aspect, but it's really more so I can get away with a little bit of movement as opposed to, I feel like I have to have it to fool a whitetail. I got you. That makes sense. That makes total sense. But I mean, honestly, I've got, I keep all of my camouflage in either a, I've got an old antique army locker that, my wife used to use for a Chana cabinet that I, I commandeered and that's where I store uh, most of my wool because I, I can throw cedar chips and stuff like there in, in it for the moths. And then I've got some plastic bins that I keep my, my clothes in not so much for scent, but if I leave them lying around the, the my, my daughter's cats will make beds out of them. But <laughs> I've got everything, man. I've got, I've got everything from, you know, like most of the early season, I'm wearing solid color uh, Columbia PFG wicking material shirts because of the, you know, it's so hot and humid here. Sure. I've got some camo that I picked up at uh, <clears throat> Dick's Sporting Goods. God, I hate those people. Um, <laughs> years and years ago, years ago, I won't buy any. I haven't set foot in one of their stores in six, seven years and will not, but... Um, I bought some, some from them years ago. I actually caught it on sale. I think I paid $6 a pair for these, for these pants and bought two pairs of them. And they're the lightest, thinnest, coolest material I've ever owned. And that's all I usually wear in the early season. And they're, they're starting to fall apart. I don't know what I'm going to do. The, the, the stitching is just rotting out of the seams and they're, I'm going to be, I'm going to be showing more leg than I intend to if I keep wearing them. But uh, anyway, that's a whole nother topic, but I'm not big on, I'm not big on, if I'm going to spend a lot of money on any kind of hunting apparel, it's, it's got to be for one of two reasons, quality of material from a, uh, from a warmth perspective or quality of build, meaning I know it's going to last me eight to 10 years. Other than that, I just buy whatever. Did I hijack that conversation? No, I'm in, I'm in a similar situation. I think uh, where I'm at right now is, you know, I've hunted on the ground so long, I've just made observations and noticed things. And um, I'm wearing wool more than I've ever worn wool. And I agree with you. I like a wool pattern. Um, you know, and it really depends if I'm going to sit 
Um, if I'm in a hammock, hammock seat and I'm going to sit in front of a tree, um, and I, you know, I can't find, you know, it depends on the area I'm going to be. If I'm in the pines or if I'm in a, on a ridge or something like that and the time of year, all that stuff factors in. And I've got a couple different things I'll do, but I used to swear by, you know, I used to have a, I have a, I have a really nice warm predator cold weather camo suit that I bought a couple of years ago. And it's the most comfortable thing I have. It's super quiet. It's, it's very, very warm, but I swear it glows. I don't know what I, what it is about it, but it, man, when you get to, when you get to first light, last light, and I look down at myself or something, it almost just seems like it's just glowing. And hmm. I've heard people, there's some people who really get into the weeds with this, you know, with the, they tried the infrared or black light or whatever that, you know, whatever in it, you can see it, right. you know, just like, but I mean, it's just like your face at night, the moonlight shines off it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I swear that I've always just done better with wool. Like it just, it's drab. It's equally quiet and it's warm. I've been kind of doing that. And I guess that's kind of getting away from the conversation, but I, I was wearing wool before I got to the fleece. The only reason why I moved to the fleece was because I thought it was warmer. It was more comfortable and I thought it was quieter, but I, 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 that's before I had like wool stuff that I really, really liked. Like you sent me those bibs and I love those bibs. And I finally got a blanket weight Asbel that I really, really like. That's in the pattern. I like the anorak. And, uh, I've just been finding stuff that works over the years. And I've got, I've also got a really big woolly bandana that I always bring out now. That's just a basic Asbel, you know, piece of $10 piece of wool that it's perfect. It just, I can almost hide in it. It's so big. So, that's kind of where I'm at with it, but I, I totally understand what you're saying. Well, I'm glad you love those bibs because I love oh. Columbia gear. I mean, I, I do, but those, those bibs, that, that's that, that's that reclaimed wool. Um, and they're not, the quality of the wool in those things is not that great. In fact, I think it may be one third sheep pubic hair for all I know, but, um, <laughs> as, as long <laughs> As long as you like it, it works for you, man. I mean, it's, well, that's well, that's. <laughs> but I. <laughs> you're, oh no, they're you're welcome. I, uh, and I mean, I've got a, and I wear a base layer or two underneath of it, obviously, and and. Uh, you, I, I you'll think wear it, two base layers after I said that. Uh, probably, I don't want to. I don't want my skin making contact with that now. Um, but you know, I think what I, I think what it did is it just made me, it made me really enjoy. Uh, I like I like a pair of bibs. Like I hate sitting down, yeah. like you know, because if if I'm sitting on the ground in that hammock seat, you know, I, I hate sitting down and having that gap between my pants and my coat, where all the wind seems to go. Like the the bibs are, I'll probably wear a pair of bibs in the late season now for the rest of my hunting life, just because, you know, there it, it just it's convenient, it's just it works, um, where you know the fleece well, the, the fleece the, doesn't do that. The the problem here with that is, unless you're talking about, you know, your lighter weight merino wool blend stuff, you can't wear wool here. But maybe the last, I don't know, probably the, you really can't start wearing any wool here until maybe into December. It's just not cold enough. And then it's, then it's mm-hmm. a stretch. Um, like, you know, except for my... 
the majority of my hunting here I'm I'm doing in a merino blend lightweight merino long sleeve shirt other than one sit I've had this year and again I haven't been out much but I mean even just watching the, the weather it just hasn't been that cold I'm using that and I'm using that Madison Creek vest that I love so much and that that's I mean that's that's all I need Mm-hmm. And you know, I've got a sportsman. What, what is that? Uh, sportsman Classics woolen shirt I picked up off of Facebook last year. Somebody was getting rid of it, and I got a steal on it. Uh, but I, honestly, unless I, you know, unless we have temperatures into the twenties, it's just not cold enough for that. And we don't have, we just don't have that much of that until you know January. Sure. Except when so, I come down, anyway, it's always really guess, it's always really cold when I come down. I don't I, I don't know why. No, you bring it, it with is. you, and it rains. It rains too. You're right. I, I just yeah, I'm just bad luck. Rains. But you know, there's other things. I posted this on our Facebook community page, and I posted it too late. And I'm going to start posting it earlier next time. But you know, people all were chiming in about deer rifles, you know, or rabbit guns, or their favorite upland gun or whatever we're like where they're always hunting with the same lever action for deer or they're you know i mean did you ever i'm not a gun hunter so i can't really comment but did you ever have a specific gun that you hunted with steve or a specific round that you liked or you know anything like that i could probably talk about several of those honestly but um you know i if i had to pick one round that i just love fell in love with it's actually a um I hunted with handguns for years and one of my favorite rounds. And if I ever, I keep saying I may end up getting another uh, TC contender and hunting with a gun again, a handgun. I don't know if I'll ever hunt with a rifle again, but uh, a 730 waters, which is a 3030 neck down to seven millimeter with a seven millimeter bullet. And in a, in a 14 inch TC contender, that, that was just the best all around round to me as far as accuracy distance recoil the whole the whole nine yards in a rifle probably a 708 seven millimeter 08 the seven millimeter and again i know you just not a you know you haven't hunted with a gun but the seven millimeter round was just to me was always so flexible because you could go you could go fairly light with the with the bullet that you chose and you could go up to fairly fairly heavy if you needed to it was just a very flexible caliber hmm. When I was when I was hunting with them, I mean, those were two that I really liked, and I could sit here and tell you others that I actually really enjoyed. But uh, you know, if you get into the point of if you could only pick one, what would you pick? Mm-hmm. But I was going to throw something back at you. Sure. You know, we we've we've thrown a few topics around here, and I, I feel like while we've we've said a few things about you know how some things more we'll call it more modern were better. Most of what we've talked about it, you know, even from from the you know the person on the outside listening in on this would probably say, well, it sounds like they're saying all the old stuff is better. And I think in some ways maybe we are, or at least saying it's it's better in some ways. If I ask you to pick one thing that you you know rely on each year, whether it's hunting, fishing, doesn't matter. You know, what's one thing that you think is better today than something you could have purchased? 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I know you haven't been doing that, doing this that long, mm-hmm. but probably, uh, probably my hammock seat. My hammock seat is absolutely the, it is the thing that I need. 
when I hunt. And there wasn't anything like that back then, not to, to my knowledge, anyway. No, back then you sat on a stump and you got a wet butt. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's probably that. I, I got to think, I would think base layers, right? Like my merino layers today. Uh, merino well, socks. I mean, what, I mean, are they, I don't know, because I wasn't around. <laughs> well, so here's, here's what I'll tell you. I think, you know, from a merino wool perspective, it was there. I don't think a lot of people used it just because it was it was expensive. Um, I can remember listening to Paul Bruner on some of his, you know, VHS tapes back in the eighties was talking about, you know, high quality merino wool. So <clears throat> it it's it's been there. But I do think the price <clears throat> I don't know if the prices have come down or if we've just Come, you know, as a society have become accustomed to paying more for quality. But, you know, I do think you hear more about it now than you used to. Um, and I'll agree with you on the hammock seat. That that thing is phenomenal. In fact, you know, one of the few times I've been out this year, a week or so ago, I had an afternoon and I felt like I could get away for a couple of hours. And it was really nice to be able to grab that hammock seat. And I actually had a place in mind where I was going to, to hunt. One of my favorites is in some river cane, and all I had to do was uh, go up and, and find a tree that I could get back in that river cane just enough to cut a few shooting lanes, and I was set up in minutes and didn't make a noise, you know. Didn't see a – well, I actually saw a couple of deer, but they were like 50 yards out. But the hammock seat is definitely one of them. I would say for me, and this is one of those – there are definitely people that would probably argue this. The things that you can do online and using – a quality GPS today with regards to being able to, I mean, I scout year round, even when I'm not able to like the last couple of years, for whatever reason, I haven't been out and done as much, you know, boots on the ground scouting, but I do a ton of scouting sitting at my computer and, and planning out, you know, places I'm going to hunt or places I'm going to scout um, and then upload those into my GPS. And I mean, while I'm not saying I couldn't do it without it, I've really gotten to the point where I depend on it a lot. And, you know, I think over the years it's it's definitely contributed to, you know, some of my success in the woods being able to do that. Well, it's uh, – I actually, I can't believe I didn't think about this. <laughs> that you, I'm glad you mentioned it because – and I think, I think that's where, you know, the age comes in there a little bit between you and I. I have my phone everywhere I go. When I started a few years ago, yeah, I had a little – I had a little portable GPS unit, but – you know, I, I've never been, as you know, great with direction. So that's just not me. I'm just not great at it. Um, I've learned, I've learned to be a lot better, but I still, I mean, I use my topo map app on my phone to navigate and it's definitely helped me. When I first started hunting, I barely got very far away from my vehicle. My phone's definitely made me get, you know, and I always carry a compass and stuff like that too. So I got that and I have basic skills. I can get out. But that makes me braver and to go further and has really opened up my, you know, my hunting opportunities. And it, it's, it's definitely been a game changer for me. Absolutely. I mean, where do you go where you don't have your phone these days? And, and you know, I'd, well, I'd probably, I'd like I'd like to have so a GPS much... unit too. I just don't have one yet. I just use my phone. Um, but yeah. I just don't trust my phone enough to rely on it. And you got I a lot have more land there too. But I, you're you got some serious property 
I mean, you just got a lot more property. Um, I, if I keep walking, yeah, I'm going to hit I, a well, house. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. I mean, I used to do the I used to do the same thing with with topo maps. I mean, in fact, I've still got I've still got a bunch of topo maps, and I and I pull those out and use them now and then. But the computer just makes it so much easier. And and I will tell you this, you know, being out in Wyoming a couple of years ago when Tom and I were out there for a week, I mean, I was surprised how easily. I did revert to being able to just, you know, find, find land points and, um, and use, you know, use handrails, those kind of things, you know, uh, creeks and drainages that I could see on a topo map to, to navigate and get back to points of reference and those kind of things. So, you know, I haven't forgotten how to do any of that, but the GPS just makes it so much easier. Um, Oh, and I like totally I said, I, I just, I, I rely on it a bunch. Um, you know, and, and while we're on that topic really quick, you know, for that matter, YouTube. I mean, pretty much when I started doing this, you know, anything I've anything outdoors I've done, you know, I had to read about it. You know, I, I buy a book and, and read it and learn it, you know, and you can... Now, if I don't know how to do something in five minutes, I can get on YouTube and and somebody will demonstrate it, and I can get it on the fly. I, I can tell you how many times when I when I was on, I I remember just starting fly fishing a couple of years ago, standing in the river and learning how to tie knots because I forget how to tie a knot or something like that. Just on YouTube, you know. I mean, that's a game changer for for the learning curve. Definitely. So if you're, if you're talking about stuff that's better than it was then, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, you could say now you could argue that you could say that's all just, you know, a lot of that is dependency and, and not really absorbing the information, just depending on someone to show you every time rather than actually reading, understanding and learning it. And you could probably say the same for the GPS and, and the apps and, and stuff like that. But you know, it's, I think it helps a lot of people like me out, especially if you're fairly new at it, you know? So one thing that did not come into this discussion, what about, um, how do you feel about bows as far as, you know, bows being made today versus bows that you've shot that were made 20, 30 years ago? Uh, I, oh, I think everything's getting better in my opinion. That's, that's, that's just my opinion. Um, when I first started and what I had available, I mean, well, oh man, that's hard to say. Cause then I look at like Howard Hillbow is like, you got that, you know, that the Howard Hillbow is a very simple design, you know, and I've got that John Schultz that I'm borrowing from you basically. Um, and that still out shoots a lot of bows of the same design from modern bowyers today. It just doesn't have it. Hey, God, that's a really hard one to answer. <laughs> <laughs> so and and I asked that obviously as a loaded question because that's one area that I've thought about a good bit and because we just keep reinventing the wheel, right? I mean, how much is actually an original design these days? It, yeah, and how I mean, how efficient can you make exactly. laminations of wood? I mean, maybe for but 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 here's the funny part. Actually, I'm gonna come back to that. I'll come back to the well, funny part. Well, let me say this: What about beginner bows? 
Because I can um, tell you, when I started out, I had a regime in Paula that was god-awful. And I can tell you, Sam Sage out today is way better than the regime in Paula ever could have been. But does that mean there wasn't any good bows around, or is that just what you had? Yeah, you're right. That's just what I had. So maybe that's not a good example. I mean, here, continue, here's, continue here's why your I, thought. Here, so my first thought is, there are, I think there are more boyers today than there was 30 years ago oh absolutely Got um it. there may be more boyers today than there's ever been as far as people that are that are building bows whether they're selling them building them for family whatever that may be there's there's just more boyers out there and the more you have i think the more you're going to see the especially the good boyers the boyers that are trying to make a living doing this they're going to put forth a lot more effort to make their make their bows stand out. So the finish is going to be better. The fit's going to be better. The consistency is going to be better. You know, the argument could be made, and and you know, Tom sent me an absolutely beautiful Black Widow. I've never been a Black Widow shooter, but thirty years ago, you didn't have people that could build bows off CNC machines, where they're going to be the same every time. Mm-hmm. So. I th- I definitely think there are arguments to be made that the bows today are better. Again, arguments could be made. But to your point, a hill bow is a hill bow is a hill bow is a hill bow. There can be good ones and there can be bad ones, and I've shot some of both. Mm-hmm. But can you make a better hill-style bow today than you could make 30 years ago? In my opinion, no, you really can't. There's only, you know, there's just only so much you can do. You can have a lot of back set and create a pretty fast hill style bow that has the tendency to have a bit more recoil than some people like. Um, I'm not going to say the the word that rhymes with hand shock because I don't believe in it, but you could <laughs> you could definitely have you know that effect, um, or you can have a string follow bow that is a bit smoother to shoot and might lose a little bit in the way of speed. But that argument in itself, when it comes to a hill style bow that you can have a, you know, a bow with a lot of back set versus a bow with a little bit of string follow, and you're not going to have a huge difference in speed means there's only so much you can do with a stick. Right. <laughs> but, <absolutely> right. <laughs> but, you know, some of your, your, your hybrid longbows, your, your, your radical limb design longbows. Yeah. I think there's, I think there are definitely arguments to be made that they're, you know, they store more energy, they're more efficient, whether or not that argument holds up when you start getting into, you know, shooting real heavy arrows, like I love to shoot those kind of things. You know, the only thing that's going to prove that's put it through a chronograph, but here's where I'm going with all this. I think the biggest thing that has changed in the last 30 years, right, wrong, or indifferent, need it, don't need it, want to argue about it, don't want to argue about it, I really don't care, but you have a vast number of shooters today that shoot low-poundage bows. Again, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying that is that is a fact of where we're at. You know, you, 20, 30 years ago, you had the John Schultz, you had... When you had Byron Ferguson, you had uh, Jerry Hill, you had a lot of these archers, Ron LeClaire, 
that were shooting 70 and 80 pound bows and nobody thought twice about it. You mentioned that you're shooting a 70 pound bow today and you're a heretic. They threaten to burn you at stake. And the, the first argument that you'll hear is, well, you know, bows today are so much more efficient than they were 30 years ago. And I call BS for the most part. Now, again, that's not to say that there aren't some bows out there that theoretically could shoot an arrow a little bit faster than you could 30 years ago. Does it make that big a difference? Absolutely not. That's just a that's just a good excuse or argument to make. And I'm not disputing it. I'm just throwing it out there. You're not going to tell me that a bow made 30 or 40 years ago is more than a few percent slower than a comparable bow made today. You're just not. And not everybody is shooting radical hybrid longbows that have, you know, tons of reflex in the limbs when they're unstrung. It's just that not everybody's doing that. So that argument just doesn't hold up. Bottom line, I think there are definitely some bows made today that are better than bows that were made 30 or 40 years ago. But the vast majority, there's really just not that much difference. Again, there's only so much you can do with a stick. Mm-hmm. Now bring on the hate mail because I know I know I just made a bunch of people mad. But part of the reason I love shooting my my hill style bows is for that very reason. I know there's not much difference in what I'm shooting than there was 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, are laminated fiberglass bows faster than? All lamination, wood laminations or self bows, absolutely. You won't get any, you know, well, a well-made one. I've shot some that weren't, <laughs> but, but, but for the majority, yeah, they're, they're going to be a little faster. They're going to be a little durable. They're going to last longer. They're not going to suffer from the wood just becoming uh, overly worked and break, that kind of thing. You know, when you think about the, the, the Ron Leclairs, and I'm trying to remember the other gentleman, um, uh, what was his name? I actually had a bow, a bow that he won, and I can't remember his name. But, you know, that was a bow that was made by John Schultz. It was a laminated bow, and it pulled 83 pounds. And it was, you know, it was the that year it was the, the, um, the world champion. And he was shooting 80-pound bows. Uh, you know, that, that, I want to say that bow was made in 86. Folks, not much has changed in hill style longbows between now and 1986. I don't. It just it just hasn't. No. In fact, the biggest change has been low stretch material and picking up a few feet per second because the strings aren't no uh, stretching I'm, like rubber bands. I'm, I'm glad you went there, Mister Stringmaker, because I was going to toss that out at you next. Can we agree that strings are better today? Well, that depends on who you ask. No, I can't. I don't think you would ever get if you if you pick ten traditional bow hunters at random and ask them if they you know which was better, modern low stretch material or Dacron. You're it just depends on which pool of people you pull those ten from. And you know we mentioned Jason a couple times tonight now, but Jason Sam Kobiak, he's gone back to shooting Dacron. Says he loves it. Uh, quieter, blah, you know. And if that's what he likes and that's what he wants to shoot, more power to him. I I don't have, again, I don't have a dog in that fight. I make, I make a lot of strings for customers 
I make strings from Dacron and I make strings from, from fast flight material. I, I want them to be happy with the string that they shoot. Personally, I have got a few bows, old vintage bows that I will only put Dacron on them. I, just because I don't, I don't want them to come apart. I, I'm actually the same as you there, and that's with that Schultz. You made me a beautiful padded fast flight string for that bow, and uh, I do. I shoot it. I like you know it shoots fine, but I I shot that bow with Dacron so long. I can't. I'm not. I don't know if it's because I I don't know if I like it better with Dacron just because that's how I've shot it for so long, or and and the the new fast flight material kind of scares me. Or if it's what you just said, I'm afraid I just don't want it to come apart. Um, I don't know. But it definitely feels a lot different with that fast flight string than a Dacron does. And sometimes I get in a Dacron mood where I'm just like, man, I like that spongy Dacron feel. I don't know what it is. You you, you probably just lost us 10 listeners because you said put fast flight on a John Schultz. Well, you're the one who um, made it for me. It's your fault. I know. I know. <laughs> And and here's the thing on a on a hill style bow, I'll tell you right now, I've got I've got a couple of bows that Jay St. Charles made. One of those is an older bow that he said it's not made for shooting fast flight material mm-hmm. on it. And it's all I've ever shot on that bow. But I'm shooting it's a sixty nine at twenty eight bow and I'm shooting eight hundred and sixty grain arrows off of it. It just it's not gonna hurt the bow. Uh, I've got old recurves that are not fast flight approved and I shoot fast flight material on them. And most of them I do pad the loops, but I've never had a problem. Uh, but I'm not shooting. Here's, here's the thing for me. I shoot the low stretch material because I like the consistency. I like the fact that I don't have to check my brace height once a week. If, if once that string is settled in, if it was at seven and a half inch brace height yesterday, it's going to be at seven and a half inch brace height tomorrow and the arrow, it's going to shoot the same every day. I also shoot very heavy arrows on everything that I shoot. So I don't, I don't have an arrow for a bow that doesn't weigh at least 11 grains per pound of draw weight. That's a big difference than taking a bow that was made before fast flight material that's not reinforced tips and shooting a six and seven grain per pound arrow out of it with fast flight material on it. Yeah, something's going to come loose. But you ask the string maker, I shoot fast flight on just about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I prefer it 99% of the time. But again, if somebody wants to tell me that they prefer Dacron for X, Y, and Z, even though I hate making strings out of the stuff, and that's a whole nother discussion, I make the strings for them, and I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy for them. I'm happy to have them as customers, and I'm, I'm glad they're shooting what they like. The there's there's two arguments there. One, fast lights noisier. Mm-hmm. Okay, if your ears tell you that, great. My ears don't. I don't hear that. Uh, I, I just don't. Then you got the other crowd that's, well, the fast flight's so much faster. You're kidding yourself. It's not. It, it just isn't. I mean, at, at most, you're going to gain a couple feet per second out of it. And in the grand scheme of things, who cares? It just, it's not going to make that much difference. Shoot what you like. From a durability perspective, longevity perspective, consistency perspective, I'm going to pick the modern material because I think it's better. 
but again, better is mar- is is a matter of opinion. And I tend to have, I think all my sticks have Dacron right now, and then my my RD bows all have fast flight. And I, it's it's been like that for a while, but I don't change my string. I don't shoot my sticks as often as I shoot my hybrids, though. So that's probably the reason. And if it did come back around to having you make a string for some of those bows, I'd try fast flight on them. The only thing I'll say about fast flight versus Dacron is I do feel like there's a different, for some reason to me, on release, it feels like fast flight's got that sudden stop where Dacrons feel spongy to me. I, I don't know. Well, what it does. It is. It's low stretch. Yeah, I mean, it's low stretch. Well, then, then I'm not crazy. Then, and sometimes I really like on certain bows. I really like that feel. Here, here's here's one thing I can tell you as a as, as a string maker that'll that'll make that make sense to you as to why it feels that way. If I make, let's say I make a 14 strand D97 fast flight string, and I put it on my stretcher. I stretch almost all of those strings. At, well, the 14-strand strings, I stretch at 200 pounds of pressure. I might adjust the tension once to bring it back. So if I set it at 200, adjust the length, set it back to 200, it might creep back down to 225. If I run it back up, I mean, excuse me, 175, if I crank it back up to 200, it'll stay there indefinitely. Once it stretches so far, it's done. Okay. If I put a 16-strand B55 string on that stretcher, I can't get it to 200 pounds. It'll stretch till it breaks. Uh, it won't stretch till that it breaks. It's, it, it's got enough stretch in it. My, my string stretching jig only has about six, I'd have to measure it. Let's just say six to seven inches of travel. So once I get the stops as tight as I can get them by hand, I can crank it all the way down and it's only going to pull it about six inches. You with me so far? Oh, I got you. Does that make sense? I hear you. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So no matter how many times I twist this thing up, if I crank it, it'll crank all the way to six inches every time. And the poundage is just going to go up and then slowly stretch back down. It... It'll eventually stop, but it's always going to have that sponge that that stretch to it. That's why it's 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 not low stretch material. It's designed to stretch. So when you get a string, and let's say I build you a fourteen strand string B fifty five string, and you're shooting it on a fifty five pound bow, well, you're going to get it to the point where it's twisted so that when you brace that bow, it's going to fall into your brace height, right? Every time. But when you pull that string back and let it go and that bow comes to brace it's still going to stretch a little bit the d97 is not it's just going to stop because it's already been stretched as far as it's going to stretch and some of that's i've 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 made it sound a little bit more dramatic than it is but basically that's what's happening when you shoot out of a, a bow that's got a dacron string on it when that bow gets back to brace, it's cushioned a little bit because no matter how long that string is, has been shot or stretched, it's still going to stretch a little bit every time. And that's what gives it that that give or that, I don't want to say spongy. It's not like spongy, but it doesn't come to a hard stop. Uh, a fully pre-stretched and settled in fast light string, it's going to stop. And that's what makes it feel a little bit harder. So what you're feeling is accurate. That's what it's doing. Spongy. 
You said spongy. I didn't say spongy. It, it's 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 spongy. <laughs> I've always. Said I'm gonna spongy. be perfectly honest with you. To, to, to me, it feels like I'm shooting a bow that's got rubber bands on it, and it always has. Yeah, I can but see that. That's an over exaggeration too. Yep. So so what is our out of all this? Plus, I hate the I hate the twang. <laughs> Man, you are just all kinds of picky, aren't you? <laughs> so what so what is our conclusion after all of this what what is what is or do we just not have one i don't know so for me i'll give you my quick conclusion and i'll let you give yours and we'll wrap this thing up because we've been rolling here for over an hour now um it depends <laughs> <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that too because that's where i'm at I, you know <laughs> I, I i think you know i here's the thing i think if it's if it was good quality 30 years ago, it's probably still usable and good quality. Doesn't mean that there hasn't been something that came along that somebody could argue is better. But I also think sometimes, and we have less of this in the traditional community there than in other communities, um, especially when it comes to hunting. But, you know, some people are never happy. They, you know, it's, and part of that is just human nature. We, we want to improve things. It's, it's, part of our dna but i think where you get into trouble and especially young younger younger hunters younger outdoorsmen where they can get into trouble is they they look to they look to items that they can give somebody some green paper and they're going to give them success and it just doesn't work that way i think you know most things if it was if it was crap 20 years ago, it's probably still crap today. If it was good quality 20, 30 years ago, it's probably still usable and maybe even as good as anything you can get today. But a lot of times it just comes down to a matter of opinion. I would and agree, folks. Do what you damn well, please. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're probably good. we're probably going to have to wrap it up because uh, uh, my computer's about to die because this has been a riveting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well i would say you know here here's the thing for me i could wake up one day and go it all sucks and i could wake up one day and go man this is all the greatest <laughs> stuff i've ever used and you know uh it depends on what what breaks and and how bad my coffee tasted that morning stop cases, overpaying so. for greenies <laughs> there you go stop <laughs> overpaying for greenies. that's the moral of this podcast stop. yeah whatever Unless, unless, unless I'm the one selling them and then I want as much yeah. as I can get for them. There goes 10 more. Um, but, but anyway. <laughs> well, brother, I enjoyed this conversation. We're, we're going to have to do more of these and we actually do already have some, some ideas lined up. So, uh, there's going to be more of these coming. Um, so maybe if, you know, if you're listening out there and you just feel like you have a, a good, a good topic that you think would be uh, a great discussion. Cause actually, I think the next one you and I are going to do came from one of our listeners who just had a topic that said, you know, you guys all talk about this. So shoot us an email, shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You know how to, you know how to get in touch with us. Um, and until next time, man, I've had a blast and we hope you've enjoyed it as well. Hope everyone has a very successful and productive 2021. Let's all leave 2020 in the rear view and we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Take care.